0: It's Thursday, December 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today from the financial capital of the United States of America. It's Maria Gallagher. Good to see you.
1: Nice to see you too, Chris.
0: We're gonna talk cybersecurity, we're gonna talk apparel. We're gonna start with retail. Dollar General's same store sales in the third quarter were up 14%. And yet shares of Dollar General down a little bit. And I'm I'm assuming. Dollar General has now entered the category of stocks that when they come out with really good earnings and really good results, the market says, yeah, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> this, is, this is really good, but we were looking for even better than this.
1: Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of companies are now in that good but not quite good enough stage. Uh, I think one of the problems with Dollar General is they don't have guidance, they aren't updating their guidance. But like you said, revenue was really strong. It was up 17.3%. Their net net income and operating income were both up 57%. I didn't know how many stores Dollar General has. It has over 16,700 stores. And in 2019, it brought in almost $28 billion in sales. And I feel like a lot of times, especially right now during the coronavirus pandemic, we're talking about all of this shift to online shopping, but- Dollar General, I think, is proof that, you know, retail isn't going away, brick and mortar retail. They had, like you said, those same store sales were up. There was a rise in transaction amount, which offset that lower customer traffic. And their store foot traffic was up twenty one percent the Saturday before Black Friday, and even up a little bit less than one percent on Black Friday. So it's still doing really well in a physical retail space, which I think is not something that we talk about about that much during right now, during current times. Uh,
0: Let me go back to the guidance for a second, because I'm curious where you think we're going with companies issuing guidance. Early in the pandemic, pretty much every company said, we're not offering guidance, and every one of us said, we get it. (laughs) Who could possibly provide meaningful, thoughtful, informed guidance in an environment like this? Do you think at some point in 2021, We're going to see the pendulum, you know, shift back um, to the point where I don't want to say punished because I, you know, look, Dollar General, that stock is up more than thirty-five percent year to date, even with the slight pullback that we're seeing today. So it's not like the stock is getting hammered, but I'm wondering if you think there's going to come a point in 2021 where companies do or analysts collectively start to uh, ding companies a little bit more for not offering guidance? Do you think it becomes, uh, we, we get to a point where it's like, no, you don't have an excuse, you should be offering guidance.
1: I guess it depends on how long until there's some semblance of normalcy returned, right? If you know the vaccine happens in the next couple of months, like people are anticipating that and then people are going back to work. I do think it'll be interesting in terms of comparables, right? So you will see companies on both the positive and the negative. So Zoom 2021, what is their quarter going to be? What will that revenue guidance be versus a place like Target was saying, "Well, now same source sales can kind of bounce back, or uh, a restaurant, or something." So I think the comparables are going to be really hard throughout 2021 and maybe even into 2022.
0: It's also going to be interesting to see what happens within industries, because if you know, to go back to Dollar General, if lots of other retailers, Walmart, Target, Kohl's. Macy's even, if they start offering guidance, it, it, it kind of seems like one of those things where if everyone else in your industry is offering guidance, it makes it a lot harder to get away with not offering it.
1: Company peer pressure.
0: <laughs> exactly. See, in some way, I was going to say, do you think that's worse than peer pressure in high school?
1: Um, I, I think it will be similarly as stressful.
0: Shares of uh, CrowdStrike, uh, easy for me to say. Up 15% after third quarter results were better than expected. Uh, Wall Street analysts were looking for a loss, but the cybersecurity company posted a profit. Um, CrowdStrike uh, putting up the the proverbial nice kind of surprise.
1: Yeah, CrowdStrike had a really incredible quarter. Their revenue was up 86%. They added uh, over 1,000 new subscribers and the stock is up over 150% this year because of COVID. I think when I looked through their earnings, two things kind of stood out to me that were really interesting. The first was just their massive breadth of their capabilities. A lot of times when you talk about cybersecurity and you realize how many cyber attacks happen every day that are being prevented, it's a little bit hard for our brains to kind of wrap those numbers around. So all of the data that CrowdStrike collects is stored in one place called the Threat Graph, and they process over four trillion signals per week. So the first thing was just kind of the ability of CrowdStrike to look at those and defend against those kinds of attacks. And then the second thing is the expand part of that land and expand business model. So their subscription customer base grew 85% year over year with their dollar-based net retention rate over 120%. And you can actually see they break out those customers, and you can see that customers with over four modules is over half of their customer base, over sixty-one percent, and twenty-two percent of of those sixty-one percent have six plus modules. So, as we can see, CrowdStrike, there's just such a need for cybersecurity, and when people are in the platform, they just kind of get more and more modules, which is really impressive, and what we want to see for these companies.
0: The stock's at an all-time high. Um, this is a about a thirty-five billion-dollar company, so it, it's obviously got some room to run. Uh, Jim Gillies and I talked about BlackBerry yesterday, which has uh, appears to have uh, done a nice job of transforming itself from one time being a mobile phone company into now being a cybersecurity company. Is this an industry that? Uh, Investors should have some exposure to in their portfolio. It just—I don't have any in my portfolio, and it just—you know—looking at uh, some stuff this morning about CrowdStrike, it—that was the thought that occurred to me. Like, wait a minute, this seems like both an important industry and one that is growing. Uh, Do you view this as—I don't want to say a must-have, but um, uh, investors should strongly consider kind of industry?
1: I would strongly consider I have some exposure um, in my personal portfolio. I think a lot of companies consider cybersecurity mission critical. They're not something that's going to be cut. If you're going to scrimp on something, protecting your customers and protecting your data isn't something where you're going to try and cut corners and get the best and cheapest deal. So, I think it's a profitable space, and I think it's a growing space, and I think it's a really critical space for so many companies and people.
0: It's a great point. I I was sort of chuckling just because uh, uh, there was a report this morning about 3M and how 3M is going to be um, streamlining their spending. Let's just put it that way. And you know, it's like, oh, we're going to cut marketing costs and you know the, that sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, I don't. To your point, I don't think 3M is saying, yeah, we 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 can cut back on the cybersecurity. That's yeah, no problem.
1: We don't need to protect your data anymore. Anyone can have it if they want.
0: Exactly. Shares of Stitch Fix falling a bit today after getting an analyst downgrade. And you know, the headline for this is basically like and I think I agree with this because the headline appears to be, hey, look, Stitch Fix, this stock's up about fifty percent for the year. So you shouldn't really back up the truck on this one right now. Do you agree with this?
1: It's interesting. So Stitch Fix is one of those companies that I kind of have mixed feelings on because I think that the idea is something that's interesting. And I know people who really like the product, but I think that customers are moving rapidly onto... Uh, spending online, so approximately three times as fast as pre-pandemic. So they're actually expecting about thirty billion dollars of market share to move online in the next year. And then if you compare that to what Stitch Fix did last year, there they grew their active clients by about nine percent. So they now have three point five million clients, which is more than I would think. But I think the question now with Stitch Fix is, what's there? What's the end game? You know, how many more people will buy a subscription service for clothing and something that is? I also found pretty interesting about the company is they they talk a lot about how they're data driven, and I had a hard time finding a lot of data on their customers within their investor presentations and the way they talk about it. So they say things um, about. You know, very general statistics, but they don't talk about how I would like to see personally, as uh, somebody buys a box in year one, and then they're likely to buy this many items in year two or this many items in year three. What's the value of that customer over the long-term? And for a company that is so data-focused, I'm surprised they don't break out those more granular numbers to understand their customers more.
0: It's a little bit uh, like the Revenue guidance that we were talking about earlier. I mean, it's. Uh, I I think that's part of both the promise and the challenge of a business like Stitch Fix, is, you know, to the extent that they have um, proprietary data, they have to be careful about how much of it they choose to share in investor presentations. Because on the one hand, they don't want to give away any secrets they have. On the other hand, they want to convince people like you. <laughs> and uh, that uh they know what they're doing, and they've they have you know serious growth potential ahead of them um and it's in in some ways it's impressive that the stock has done what it's done this year because uh, you know uh, we, you know, we were joking right before we started uh, recording today with our colleague Corinne about, you know, she made the comment like, yeah, okay, do, do they have a sweatpants option? Because you know, I'm just, I'm just looking for comfy clothes here. Um, so I, I don't doubt that they are dealing with legitimate challenges, but it it really is hard to see, uh, in part because I am not one of their customers. It's hard to see um, how they get in. How they get people in the, the regular habit of shopping with them in the way that, and this is an unfair comparison because I'm going to talk about a couple of companies that are not retailers, uh, apparel retailers, um, in the way that like Target and Walmart have, have sort of um, made it easy for people to shop.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So they did shift a little bit out of things like workwear blazers into athleisure. Their athleisure revenue grew 350% year over year last quarter. So they are trying to pivot and shift. But I think it just kind of begs the question, who is their customer and how many of those customers exist? To your point about breaking out those numbers because you, you don't want... If it's proprietary, you don't want people to kind of take that if you don't want them to. But I think a lot of times with some more vague numbers, it would be like you advertise them if you want people to know them. Like CrowdStrike says, so many of our customers have six plus modules, and you kind of don't say anything if you maybe don't want people to know those numbers of your customer retention, maybe.
0: This is a $4 billion company. Um, they got smart management. Um, Katrina Lake and her team. Uh, it's an established brand, there is clearly value there. Do you think in three years Stitch Fix is still a standalone public company? Because again, it's $4 billion. Um, It it really seems like the kind of business that a larger company, whether it's Amazon, Walmart, or Target for that matter, uh, it really seems like someone could swoop in and for not a lot of money, um, make them an offer they can't refuse.
1: I think that would be a really good uh, idea for a lot of people because I think it could you know, get new customers for these bigger retailers, and then also expand the inventory of Stitch Fix and expand their capabilities, especially if it's bought by someone who has really sophisticated shipping and logistics, if you think about an Amazon or a Walmart or a Target. So, it could be really helpful and advantageous for both if there's some sort of acquisition, because I don't know what this addressable market is, and I don't know what amount of penetrated it is with Stitch Fix right now.
0: Maria Gallagher, always good talking to you. Thank you, my friend.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Pretty paper, pretty ribbon, a blue. Wrap your presents to your darling.
1: by him downtown Downtown
0: shoppers christmas is is mine and they
1: Are not much too busy. You're in a hurry.
0: My- Ready, We're